amazing grace that you would look upon us in our sinfulness and send your son to pay the price. And then that he would rise again, defeating the powers of death, offering us new life in you, offering us your spirit to dwell within us and empower us. All we can do is say, it's amazing grace, Jesus, that we love you and we worship you today. May we worship now by listening attentively and obediently to your word. In Jesus' name, amen. On uh, Wednesday night, we had uh, the privilege of hosting a a man named Mez McDonald and a couple team members from Scotland. Those of you that were here, did you enjoy it? Yes? It was uh, a really terrific uh, evening. Uh, The audio for that should be up uh, later today. uh, Mez talked through Titus 2 and encouraged us on how we can be a church where it's normal that we be encouraging one another in our development in Christ. It was a really fun evening, so I encourage you to listen to it if you were not here. Uh, Mez wrote a book called Is There Anybody Out There? It trucks through his story from a uh, homeless child on the street to prison to church planter. It's really terrific. We've got some in the bookstall in the back. They're $10. I'd love to give one away to someone who will... Read it and feast and enjoy. Come on up. So check that out. And uh, just a reminder for the half of you that came in late. Tonight uh, at 6 o'clock we have our next members meeting. It will be a lot of fun. I hope you can join us. So if you're here today and you're a Christian, um, I have really great news for you. Good Christians don't get angry or anxious or bitter or worried or depressed. So, that is great news, isn't it? I'm going to get angry if that stand keeps doing that to me. So, um, today that's what, what we want to talk about, is that good Christians, the, one that, the ones that really love God and, and follow God and serve God, they don't ever battle with negative emotions. They're just absent, Right? So let me give you three exhibits that would tell us that that's true. Because that's a message we often hear. So here's three ways uh, out of many in which we might hear that. Um, One comes from a prolific uh, author, has written many bestsellers, pastors uh, the largest church in the United States. Here's some thoughts from him. Right now, something is looking for you. Something already has your name on it. As long as you're doing your best to honor God and have a heart to help others, an explosive blessing will find its way into your hands. If you stay on the high road and you keep doing your best, you'll see God at work in amazing ways. But God's saying to you, if you believe, I'll turn your situation around. If you believe, breakthroughs will always head your way. When God sees you do your part, He will do His part. We're just getting warmed up. It gets much better. God wants to give you your own house. God has a big dream for your life. Perhaps you're searching for a parking space in a crowded lot. 
Just say, Father, I thank you for leading me and guiding me. Your favor will cause me to get a good spot. Just to clarify, I'm, I'm reading quotes. All right? Um, I've come to be... I've come to expect to be treated differently. I've learned to expect people to want to help me. My attitude is, I'm a child of the Most High. My Father created the whole universe. He's crowned me with favor. Therefore, I can expect preferential treatment. God sees you as strong and courageous, as a man or woman of great honor and value. So stop thinking of yourself as a loser with a bad job, a small apartment, and a limit of a car. Start believing you can become what God says. And this is my favorite. Take Sarah, for example. It took her a long time for God to fulfill the promise that she would become pregnant. So, you remember the story. God said to Abraham, who they had no kids, you're going to have a kid. And um, they tried and tried and tried and tried and tried and tried and tried. And it didn't happen. But here's why. Why did it take so long? The key to the promise coming to pass was that Sarah had to conceive it in her heart before she was able to conceive it in her body. I wonder how many great things God's trying to do in your life. You're just like Sarah. You won't conceive it. You're not in agreement with God, so you're missing out on His blessings. So start believing. God didn't make you to be average. He created you to excel. So if you'll start acting like it, talking like it, seeing yourself like a conqueror, you will live a prosperous and victorious life. When you think positive, excellent thoughts, you'll be propelled towards greatness, inevitably bound for increase, promotion, and God's supernatural blessings. God doesn't bless mediocrity. He blesses excellence. So do you want a new car? Then wash the one you have. You want a bigger house? Keep it looking nice. Make sure it looks like a person of excellence lives there. Then God will give you something better. Do you hear it? Good, good Christians, they don't, they don't struggle with anger. They don't get depressed. They don't worry. They don't have fears. Because if you just pronounce the blessings that God's already given you, then everything will go exactly smoothly wonderful in your life. That message sells. 45,000 people are listening to that right now. And that's just in person. That doesn't count the millions more hearing it through the TV. That's exhibit A. All right, here's B. So I went big, now let me just circle home. When I was a senior in high school, uh, the youth pastor at the church that Jill and I were a part of at that time, uh, no, we weren't <laughs> married when I was a senior in high, high school. <laughs> I realized it sounded a little weird after it came out. Um, he, he and uh, Randy and Michelle were driving on a highway in Texas home from her birthday party. Middle of the day, a drunk driver struck them from behind, caused their car to swerve across the median. A car going the other direction hit them, literally split their car in two. Two completely different pieces. She was killed. The driver of the other car was killed. The drunk driver drove away fine. And Randy was thrown 60 or 70 feet, I don't remember which one, in the air, landed 
on the asphalt on his face. So when he was able enough to come home, he came to our house. Uh, They'd only been at this church for about a year. No family, nothing. He couldn't bear the thought of going home to this house where all he'd ever known was this time with his wife. So he came to live with us, took my room. I slept on the couch, and we tried to serve him and minister to him. He was one of my closest friends at the time, and I will never, ever, ever forget an evening meal we had. Randy, this was a big church, so he got lots of cards. I mean, piles of cards. And he'd been out of the hospital maybe two months. He was supposed to be serving a youth group of 200 people, but he couldn't stand. He had lost his wife. This was his first ministry position. And life, as he had imagined it becoming, was not there. Have you been there? You pictured this was going to turn out a different way than it's come out. So Randy's sitting reading these cards, and card after card after card after card. And finally, he takes one of them, and he just slams it on the table. And he says, if one more person sends me that verse, I'm going to scream. Can you imagine which verse it was? Romans 8, 28, which says, God causes all things to work together for the good of those who love God. Now, is that true? Yeah, absolutely. But... Uh, what Randy was receiving from all of these cards was it doesn't matter what circumstance you're in. Yeah, you lost your wife of a year. Yeah, you had to have three surgeries to get asphalt scraped out of your face. Yeah, you can't even stand up. But good Christians don't struggle. They don't have worries and fears and anxieties. That's what he heard in these cards over and over and over and over again. Now let's zoom back out for another one. Exhibit C, if you will. This is my personal favorite. Last Veterans Day, there was a a TV preacher and a Christian historian on a Veterans Day broadcast. And they got in a conversation about uh, PTSD. And uh, here's what this person said. Any of you suffering from PTSD right now, you listen to me. You get rid of that. You don't take drugs to get rid of it. It doesn't take psychology. The promise is right there in the Bible. Just believe that'll get rid of it. And then the historian countered and said, Yes, no soldier who who behaves biblically during war can get PTSD. So the, the recounting of that event, the one that got the most read... Here was the name of the article. Why right-wing evangelicals claim, and listen, good Christians can't get PTSD. This message is everywhere. That if you'll just believe in God, then you'll never have any reason to struggle with hard or negative emotions. Good Christians never get anxious, angry, bitter, worried, or depressed. If you love God, apparently you'll never have those emotions. Really? Let's, let's take a few from the Bible and see what it actually says. All right? These will just be on the screens for time's sake. We'll go through them quickly. How about David? Did David ever experience any of those emotions? 
Here's one of the things he wrote, Psalm 13. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? I think there's a little bit of emotion there. How about Paul? We read this a few weeks ago. Just for reinforcement's sake. This is the Apostle Paul, 2 Corinthians 1. For we don't want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. We were utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. Do you really want to take the position that Paul wasn't a good Christian? That doesn't make much sense. But here's the best example. Jesus. Jesus felt very strong emotions. When his friend died, he cried. When self-righteous people were around him, he got angry. He cried on the cross that the Father had forsaken him. In Matthew 26, he said, Jesus went with them to a place called Gethsemane. He said to the disciples, Sit here while I go over there and pray. Taking with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, My soul is very troubled. My soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch with me. Apparently, Jesus didn't believe that lie. Apparently, Jesus didn't think, if you just think rightly about God, then everything will go smoothly. Are you with me? If that lie was true, there'd be no reason why this verse would be in the Bible. Ephesians 4.13 Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Paul just spent the first half of his book saying, You're saved. God loves you. He's called you. You're His. And then he says, So put all this stuff away. If good Christians didn't battle with these emotions, there would be absolutely no reason he ever would have said that. Now, when we look at this objectively, it's incredibly obvious how stupid it is. But when we're in the stuff of everyday life, there's nothing easier to believe. So what we want to try today is to say it's simply not true that good Christians don't get angry, anxious, bitter, worried, or depressed. It's ridiculous. It happens all the time. David, Paul, Jesus, if you're here today and you're a follower of Christ, you have experienced those emotions. The good news I have for you is you will again. (laughs) So don't be so smug that you act as though you don't have them while you turn your noses up at the people that admit they have them. What we need is a culture in our church of transparency and honesty and confession in order that we can help each other through those emotions because they're going to come. They will. And if you're here today and you're not yet sure what you think about Jesus, of course you've experienced these emotions. Contrary to probably what you've seen on the TV or read if you picked up a popular Christian book, Christianity does not offer you escape from everything hard in life. It offers you a hope that's better than that. But that's for another day. 
here's what I find confusing. How do we understand this reality that we've just described and the fact that the same book tells us don't be afraid, don't worry, don't be anxious, have joy in all circumstances. So how is it that the exact same book that contains the tales of the heroes of our faith who battled with these emotions is the same source that tells us, stop it. Does that seem confusing to anybody else but me? Maybe it's just me. (laughs) If we have these emotions and we've tried really hard not to, and we've brought them to God and asked Him to take them away, and He doesn't, and He still tells us, quit worrying, what, what gives? It seems as though we've created a scenario that doesn't work out. If Christianity's really true and I'm really saved, why would I ever feel those emotions when God tells me not to? If our shared experience is that we can confess Jesus as Lord and Savior and still battle with this stuff, and more importantly, if we see that very reality on the pages of the Bible, then what do those commands even mean? Are they like stop signs? So when you see a stop sign, what do you do? You don't stop. You kind of stop. You you, you slow down and you pretend to stop. We treat stop signs as mere suggestions. Is that what those commands are? The most frequent command in the entire Bible is fear not. Does that mean, fear not, please, maybe, if you get around to it, if there's nothing to be afraid of? Is it a suggestion? Or is it God commanding a particular way of life? I find this a little confusing. So my sole goal in the next 30 minutes is to try and shed light on what is going on. If people who really love Jesus still experience strong negative emotions, then how do we understand all these commandments? Here's a few. Matthew 10.31 says, fear not. Proverbs 29.11 says, a fool gives full vent to his anger. Philippians 4.6, do not be anxious about anything. Really? Luke 12. 29, don't seek what you're supposed to eat or what you're supposed to drink, nor be worried. Colossians 3.8, now you must put these all away, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk. What is God thinking? Is he merely telling us, stop like you stop at the stop sign? No. But I want to try and help us understand what's going on here. Church, there is a big gap between the life God commands us to live and the way we actually live. They're not the same. For some of us, they're more drastic than the other. For some of us, you can't really see the one side for the other. For others of us, it's a little bit closer. But none of us genuinely all the time live out the vision for life that God's given here. Right? Can we agree on that? So 
God says hundreds of times, depending on how you calculate those, it's possible that there's a command that says fear not for every day of the year. It's in there that much. And yet, how many times have you been afraid today already? So there's this gap between God tells me not to be afraid or not to worry, but I'm all tied up in knots on the inside. Correct? So when that happens, I think you basically have three choices of what to do. These are the only tools in the tool shed. You can try harder. So God says, don't worry. And I love God. And good Christians don't worry. So I'm going to try harder not to worry. Now, for some of us, that's pretty effective. That, that works for a while. If you're really type A, it might work for a long while. But eventually, that's going to snap. So that's not a particularly good option. Trying harder doesn't invite God to work through you. It tells God, I don't need you. I can do it myself. But that is an option in your tool chest. God says, don't worry. I'm worried. I'll just try harder. Another option is to simply give up. Now, giving up can look lots of different ways. There are some people who... No one is in my mind when I say this, okay? <laughs> there, there are some people who used to be a part of Church on Mill who are, are not any longer. Not because God motioned them, led them, guided them away to some other city or to some other church so they can serve and bless there, but because they gave up on God. Because there is the command, don't worry, don't be afraid, don't struggle with anxiety, depression, fear. And there's my daily life. And I tried 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 and it didn't work. So... Maybe this whole thing is, is just fairy tales. You most likely know someone that has walked that road. So that is an option. You have that as a choice. But giving up doesn't have to look like that. Giving up can look much more spiritual. I can continue to come here and read my Bible and, and pray... But, but really, I'm not expecting anything. I'm just doing activities. It's really no different than taking a shower and having lunch. These are just habits of life. They're just the stuff you do. And so, on the outside, we, we look respectable. We look like we're honoring God. But on the inside, we can just be broken. Completely having given up that anything could actually be different. That's some of you here today. That is an option you have. You can give up and walk away. You can give up and continue to walk here. But that doesn't sound particularly appealing, does it? So we can try harder, we can give up, or we can increasingly come to understand the gospel, and live in light of it. When, when God says, don't do this, and we're doing this, 
How does a believer receive that? What is the filter through which we understand the commands of God that we're having an awfully, awfully hard time obeying? Well, we can hear those through the try-harder lens. And unless you're really stubborn, that will invariably lead to the giving up. Or we can hear them in the same way we heard the call to repent and come to Christ. The same power that enabled us to become Christians can be the same power that enables me to increasingly live less fearful, less worried, less anxious, less depressed. That's what I'd like to describe to you in the rest of our time. Yes, God tells us not to be consumed with worry, bitterness, anxiety, and fear. But if all I ever do is look at those commands and bemoan the fact that there's a gap between the two, I'm always, always, always going to be tempted to bring out the tool of giving up or the tool of trying harder. Always. At best, I'll get behavioral modification. But if I can hear those emotional responses that I have as indicators that something's going on in my heart that's gone awry, then I have the opportunity to really grow, to experience more of God in life. Now, this will take me a minute to track through because it's completely different than the way we think. We tend to approach the Bible as, I needed God in order to to get on His team, but I'm going to stay on His team by trying really hard to do everything this says. And that doesn't work. But it looks really nice. It looks really spiritual. Doesn't it? Unless you have had some traumatic event in your past, and many of us have, or unless you have some physiological reason to battle with some of these emotions, and some of us do, unless it's one of those two arenas, those camps, then the root cause of our anxiety, bitterness, worry, anxiety, depression, whatever else, is sin. I don't mean all the time in every case. That's why I prefaced it with these other things. Some of you, the most spiritual thing you could do when you leave here today is take a nap. Because your, your body is wired by God to need rest. And you go too long without rest and what begins to happen? Worry, fear, anxiety, bitterness, right? Why? Have you ever noticed that in Genesis 1, the days didn't start with the day. They started with the night. It says there was evening and morning the first day. There's a, there's a little image that God's giving us that is just magnificent there. If, if you were a Jew alive at the time Jesus was walking on the earth, the way you thought about your day wasn't, my day starts with that, <laughs> your day started when darkness came, your body told you, you're not God, you need rest. It's time to eat a meal, be with friends, 
worship God, and sleep. Isn't that cool? Some of us, the most spiritual thing we need to do is quit watching Netflix and get some exercise. Our our bodies aren't made to be blobs. So my, my mind, my soul, my spirit, my physical body, all those things work together. And when one of them's goofed up, then it affects everything. So I do not mean in any way that everyone that has struggles with anxiety or depression or fear or worry doesn't have some event in their past that's been traumatic that is continuing to affect the way they look at everyday life. In fact, if statistics are right, about a third of us have have been sexually traumatized in such a way that everything, every moment of every day we're impacted. That's next week. You can come back for that. That'll be fun, huh? <laughs> huge, huge amounts of us probably have physiological reasons that we're prone towards anxiety or depression or worry. And just like a diabetic has to take insulin, there is absolutely nothing unspiritual about taking something to balance yourself out chemically. So don't misunderstand my point. Notwithstanding any of that, if that's not what's going on, and more than likely even when that's going on, there is still at the root of my struggle with anxiety, depression, fear, worry, dread. There is a sinfulness. At the heart level, this will come as a shock to you, Christians battle with selfishness and control and self-worship. There's lots of times we really want God to not be God anymore and, and me to be God of my own life. And when we're thinking that way, maybe even without realizing it, there's a little gift that we're given. It, it's, it's like the check engine light of your heart. So when I'm anxious, when I'm afraid, when I'm worried, those are not benign, abstract things that have come out of nowhere. They're indicators of a check engine light at the heart. So if we really want to experience a a, a, a lessening of that gap, the key is not to try harder. The key is not to give up. The key is, God help me to see the sinfulness in my heart and then to revel in the grace that's been given to me in the gospel so that my heart can change. The areas of your life needing spiritual growth the most will most likely bubble to the surface as anger, anxiety, worry, bitterness, and depression. If we have a church culture that says those things are unacceptable, stuff them, ignore them, then the dashboard of our emotions gets ignored and growth doesn't happen. Which, in my experience, in my own life, years and years and years ago, caused caused me to wonder, is any of this even true? Because I'm, I'm really trying to do what it says. And I really think I believe it. But I'm still having all these issues. 
Anger, anxiety, bitterness, worry, depression, fear are emotions that destroy. But they're also emotions that reveal. They reveal the ways through which we are seeking to be our own saviors. So when we feel them, the best thing to do is not to pretend that they're not there. It's to ask God to give us discernment about what's causing them. Good Christians don't get angry, anxious, bitter, worried, and depressed. Instead of saying that ridiculousness, it would be a whole lot better if we said dead Christians don't get angry, anxious, bitter, worried, or depressed. So imagine this image. Can you throw that up there? When you look like that, these things will be over forever. Why? It's not because you no longer exist. It's because God's work at that point is finished. God's design for you is that you would perfectly reflect the image of His Son. And that's not something you dredge up yourself. That is the work God initiated and is doing in your life and you cooperate with. So that work will be finished when Jesus comes back or we look like that. Until then, friends, there's going to be a gap between the commands of Scripture and the way I actually live. And I can try harder or I can give up or I can say, God, I really want, I I really do want to live in such a way that you're magnified, you're honored, you're pleased, you're made much of. And so when I have these emotions, help me to understand, God, what's about to blow up inside of me and I don't see it? And help me then to know how your truth of what you've done for me in Christ applies to that situation. The key to change is not to impress God with our good behavior, It's not even to become something we're not. Instead, it's to become what we already are. You see, God gave you, if you are in Christ, perfect standing with Him. So you are as loved and accepted and welcomed and embraced by God as you're ever going to get. Isn't that amazing? Therefore, when I really come to believe that and then think I've believed it all the way and then I step deeper in and believe it even more and again and again and again and again and again, that's the path of growth. And that path is a rocky, rough path. And it often comes through these emotions. So if you go and read... Your, your best life now, or I declare, or you listen to Kenneth Copeland, what you're actually taking in is poison. Because it's telling you, you haven't followed God right. And that's why you're having these things. When the truth is, you're your own worst enemy. There's sinfulness in your heart that's erupting in these emotions. And God says, Here's the check engine light. 
Pay attention to what's in your heart. See it, but then don't stay there. Revel in the grace that's been given to you in Christ. When I try to change and to be in charge, instead of submitting to the Lord, all kinds of negative emotions are to come. But when I fundamentally believe and believe more and more and more in the gospel of Christ, then we're freed. So when the Bible says, stop fearing, quit being anxious, worry, really? Don't you know who God is and what He's done for you? It almost mocks us at times. Bitterness? Put that away. As if it's that simple, like taking off a shirt. That's the image it uses. All of these things need to not be heard in this way. Good Christians don't do that. If you were a good Christian, you wouldn't feel that way. Try harder. If you still have those kinds of emotions, maybe God isn't real and maybe Christianity isn't going to work for you. We need to not hear it like that, but rather hear it as, my dear child, I've made a way for you through the death and resurrection of my son. What you failed to obey, Jesus did on your behalf. Live in the freedom already purchased for you. Become who you already are. Your heart is lying to you again. I've already saved you. You're already at pace with me. You're completely loved. This is best done in community because it's awfully terribly difficult to know in our own hearts where we're believing lies. So I'd encourage you to be honest and transparent about these things. Let me close with a long section of Scripture. And I want to ask you to imagine yourself being able to say these words. Imagine reaching the point spiritually where not, not you're perfect. There is still some measure of gap. But the gap you're very quickly aware of and you submit to God and you find joy is much more common than these other emotions. That can come about regardless of circumstance. So listen to this and make it your prayer that God would enable you to have this kind of mindset. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. We have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We're afflicted in every way but not crushed, perplexed but not driven to despair, persecuted but not forsaken, struck down but not destroyed always caring about in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may be manifested in our bodies. We who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake so that the life of Jesus may be manifested in our mortal flesh. Death is at work in us, but life in you. Since we have the same spirit of faith according to what's been written, I believe and so I spoke, we believe and we speak. Knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us up with Jesus and bring us with you into His presence. Isn't that great news? For it is all for your sake, so that grace extends to more and more people. It may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. So we don't lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. We don't look at the things that are seen, but at the things that are unseen. 
For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. For we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed. Now he's not talking about camping. He's talking about your body. Your body is breaking down. You are dying. We know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God. A house not made with hands eternal in the heavens. For in this tent we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling, if indeed by putting it on we may not be found naked. For while we're still in this tent, we groan, being burdened, not that we'd be unclothed, but that rather we'd be clothed. So that's what what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. For he who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who's given us the Spirit as a guarantee. So we're always of good courage. We're always of good courage. Not because everything is rosy and easy, but because of what we have in Christ. Not because God gave you the parking space you prayed for, but because of what you have in Christ. We know that while we're at home in the body, we're away from the Lord, for we walk by faith, not by sight. Yes, we are of good courage. We'd rather be away from the body and be at home with the Lord. So whether we're home or away, we make it our aim to please Him. We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he's done in the body, whether good or evil. How did Paul reach that point spiritually? Was there like some juice he pulled from God that's different than what you have? Same God, same sacrificial death, same resurrection, same spirit. What's different is Paul had learned through hardship, through trial, through difficulty, through joy. He had learned not to merely try harder. He'd learned not to give up. He'd learned to see everything through the lens of the gospel. You can too. Father, forgive us of the times that we find ourselves believing. If you were good, if Christianity worked, if the Bible was true, then I wouldn't feel these emotions. God, we would long to be people who come to say we are always of good courage. That while, they're, while even in the midst of, of hard things, we've learned through you not to be overcome with anxiety and fear and worry and dread and bitterness because our hearts have been changed by you to see you as the blazing center of all of reality and therefore we are free to love you and to love people And when we live that way, then that gap gets smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller. 
Help us, Lord, for your glory. In Jesus' name.